Howdy how, this is Aswi and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Hey, what's good, everybody? You know the vibes. We are back with yet another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. And today, we got a four-man pod for you guys. With me, I got the usual suspects. You know them very well. We have AC. What's up, guys? We got Aswi. Howdy how. And we got Eric. Yes, sir. So, for today's episode, we wanted to go over one of the most eventful trade deadlines we have probably seen in recent history. A ton of moves were made, and some could really have an impact on this season and for seasons to come. So, obviously, we thought it appropriate to go through all the major moves that happened and discuss our thoughts on it. So, guys, let's start off. What do you guys think? Well, I think the biggest story, and probably where we should start here, is with your team, Anushan, the Toronto Raptors. Because all indications were that the Raptors were setting up to move Kyle Lowry. I mean... The guy's last game before the trade deadline, he actually flashed a peace sign to the camera. He had this pre-trade deadline press conference where it seemed like he thought he was about to be traded. It was kind of somber. He got a call from Drake. They get rid of Norman Powell. They create an extra roster spot by getting rid of Terrence Davis. And then there was this huge three-way bidding war between the Sixers, the Heat, and the Lakers to get Kyle Lowry. But then all of a sudden, there was no trade at all. So let me start with you, Anu. Did the Raptors actually do the right thing here? When I look at it, I always see it from two perspectives. One, as a fan of Kyle Lowry, but also as a fan of the franchise. So, of course, I I love my guy, Kyle. Um, He's done so much for the city. He is the best Raptor of all time, in my opinion. But if I'm looking at it from the perspective of, okay, I'm a fan of the team and I want to see us improve in the near future, Lowry is not going to be leading us anywhere. In fact, he has such high trade value right now that it's almost like shocking that um, Masai Ujiri didn't make a move to to get him somewhere. And to me, that really shows like the greed of Masai Ujiri. I felt like he really dropped the ball here, especially when so many teams that are competing for a championship, like you said, the Lakers, uh, us, we Sixers, the Miami Heat, all these teams are trying to put bidding wars on to see what they can get for Lowry. And I think Messiah tried to bite off a bit more than he could chew. And because of that, we ended up keeping him. Well, as a fan of a team that's been absolutely ass-raped by Messiah Jerry repeatedly over and over again, from the Bergiani trade to a series of other moves, I can say that I will not slander his name. But I do want to go through some of the specific potential trades that could have happened. And let's start with the Sixers. Now, we had a previous podcast in which Anu, you and us, we are Sixers fans, tried to make a proposed trade because to all of us, it seemed like a logical thing that was going to happen. But instead, according to the rumors, the Raptors asked the Sixers for two first, Matisse Thibel, Danny Green, and Tyrese Maxey. But for whatever reason, the Sixers declined to actually make that offer to the Raptors. And Oswe, as a guy who was clamoring to get Kyle Lowry, was that a mistake by Daryl Morey? Trust in Morey. That's what I have to say. Trust in Morey. Part of me really, really want... Not part of me. All of me really, really wanted Kyle Lowry to be on the Sixers. I didn't want this amazing year of 
Joel Embiid and this amazing year of Tobias Harris to go to waste. With Kyle Lowry, we could be legitimate contenders. Daryl Moore doesn't make mistakes when it comes to deals. If there wasn't a deal on the table that worked for him, he wasn't going to do it. And and I trust that by holding back the ammo here, he's trying to make a big play in the offseason to get a Bradley Beal or honestly, who knows anybody. He could probably swing some type of deal. By not making this move, he's basically opening the door for future potentially bigger moves. What about the Lakers? So, Eric, I know you were probably surprised as a guy's rooting for the Lakers to see the Lakers suddenly involved in a Kyle Lowry move. Somebody who probably they had no rights to even have a chance to get. But what was rumored to be offered was Dennis Schroeder and KCP. And the Raptors supposedly also asked for THT as well. And for whatever reason here, the Lakers ultimately passed. Now, I don't know if that all three of those guys together would really have gotten it done. But did the Lakers make a mistake by not making a move for a guy who would have been a legitimate third option on their team had they made that move? Well, for starters, it was inexplicable that Kyle Lowry was being connected to the Lakers. And that day or so before, more like, it seemed like a couple of hours before the ending of the trade deadline. Didn't see that coming at all. But I absolutely think that the price that they would have had to pay for Kyle Lowry, Dennis Schroeder, KCP, and a young talent and, and Taylor Horton Tucker would have been a bit much to give up for a 35-year-old point guard. Kyle Lowry is still very, very, very good. Still runs a great offense. Still is a dogged defender in spots. But I was just looking earlier at age comps between Dennis Schroeder and Kyle Lowry when he was 27, his age 27 season. And they match up actually quite, quite well. And considering Dennis Schroeder, as of late, has become one of the better point guard defenders, I would have been a little reticent to pull the trigger on giving Schroeder up. And I definitely would have been reticent to give up someone like Taylor Horton, who's 20. Um, You pretty much control his contract situation. And he has a, a shit ton of upside. So... No, I I wouldn't have pulled the trigger. I think Rob Polinka ultimately made the right move. In response to that, Eric, I actually disagree with you here. For one, I want to uh, go back to that age comparison that you made. I think it should be like well known that Larry was he's more of a late bloomer. More of his like efficiencies came when he was like in his like early thirties and going on from there. I, I think some of the best basketball Larry has ever played was probably um, around that twenty nineteen uh, season. So I actually think that Lowry has been one of the very few players that's been better when he was past the age of what should have been his prime. I also think that if the Lakers window is to win and they're in a a win now situation, right? I think that, and I felt this way with the Sixers too, that they should try to maximize and take the opportunities that are given to them, especially with a guy like Kyle Lowry, who is a as of recently, a more known playoff performer. He can get it done in the playoffs. He is a great leader. If you take the value between Dennis Schroeder and Kyle Lowry on 
the defensive end, I would take a Kyle Lowry over a Dennis Schroeder. I still think that Lowry is extremely efficient to this day. The only thing I would say that is a bit worrisome on the Lakers part is giving up THT because I do think that this kid has a ton of potential. So I I feel like the Lakers might have dropped the ball here in not accepting that kind of trade. It's an interesting um, move by Rob Palenka. I would agree that Kyle Lowry's still fairly good. I, I wouldn't say he's one of the more efficient point guards in the league. He seemingly, for the last couple of years, his player efficiency rating has actually dropped. He's still a good defender. He's, I wouldn't say he's an elite defender at this point. And are we going to ignore Kyle Lowry's like, mixed bag of playoff success in the last five years? Yes, he won a championship. But he also has series where he literally was non-existent. You know, it's funny, Eric. I used to refer to Kyle Lowry as a Costco superstar. He's a bargain deal superstar. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I do give him props. And ever since the 2019 championship win, I, I haven't called him that. Now, you're right. He has had some real playoff disappearances. But it cannot be understated how important he was to that championship team. Because think about it, a lot of those playoff failures came when he was playing next to DeMar DeRozan. But you saw what happened when he had a true star next to him. So I I think when you look at Kyle Lowry as a playoff performer, I'd like to think that if you give him a LeBron or an Anthony Davis to play next to, we're going to be seeing a lot more of that 2019 playoffs Lowry than the Costco superstar Lowry. But at the same time, I'm with you there, Eric. I don't think giving up what you would have had to give up to get Lowry was worth it. It's one of those things that hindsight's going to be 2020 on, right? If the Lakers go to the finals and they meet like a net super team and they just don't have enough offense to keep up, people are going to look at this trade and whether they made the right move or not. But I think the better comparison is not even between, you know, THT's potential versus Kyle Lowry or versus even comparing Schroeder and Kyle Lowry. It's more like, can a team that's already down their two best players afford to give three rotation players up for one in, in a season where, you know, we're 20 something games away from the playoffs. I think, you know, Kentavious Cowell Pope has had an up and down season, but he's also a huge part of why they won the championship last year. He was their third best player. Dennis Schroeder is the biggest reason why they are still the number one defense, even without Anthony Davis and LeBron James. He's such a beast defensively. I disagree with Anushan that Kyle Lowry, you know, is a better defender. I, I think he probably was at his absolute peak, but Schroeder's ability to slink around screens and just be such a beast at the point of attack is really unique and it sets the Lakers up for success. So to give up both those guys and the potential of THG is a high price for a guy that they would have to then, you know, basically rent for a few months and, and then offer something like $28, 29000000 million per year to stay, and that would be a point guard in his mid to late 30s. Now, I do also want to talk about the Heat for a second because they passed on this deal as well. And and for them, the piece they weren't willing to include is Tyler Hero. But the difference between the Heat and these other teams we're talking about is the Heat can actually sign Kyle Lowry outright into cap space. So, yeah, they might not got him now, but they could keep Tyler Hero and still get him next summer. I think that's smart by Pat Riley. Why would you give up a young, potentially great shooter 
for a 35-year-old point guard who, if you really feel so high on him, you could just get him in free agency. It's no point giving up prospects for a guy who's potentially this summer you're going to get anyway. It would have been foolish. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely like a bunch of fool's gold on the part of Masai Ujiri and the rest of the rappers who were hopefully wishing that Tyler Hero would make uh, an appearance in, well, I guess now Tampa. And it should be mentioned that the Raptors can offer Lowry a contract this summer. And in, even if he wants to leave to a team that maybe doesn't have the cap space to sign him, maybe they can get a sign and trade down the road. And, and it's possible that Masai just thought, you know what, some team's going to want him this summer and we can still get something in return there. And this season we could be competitive. But of course, there's still a chance that they, he could just walk this summer to a team with cap space like Miami. So let's uh, wait and see on that. I do want to talk, though, guys, about a team we just mentioned, Oswee's Philadelphia 76ers, who might have missed on the Kyle Lowry sweepstakes, but they did actually add George Hill as part of a three-team trade with the Thunder and my New York Knicks. So the Sixers in that trade got George Hill, and they got Ignis Brzezkis, and the Thunder acquired Tony Bradley, Austin Rivers, who was then eventually bought out, and the Sixers' 2025 second-round pick, and the Sixers' 2026 second-round pick. So for all intents and purposes, the Sixers basically gave up no rotation players of note and just a couple of second-round picks. What do you think about this move, Oswee? AC, both you and Mus have been telling me for a while now that this was the move that the Sixers absolutely need to make. I think this is a brilliant move. It shows that trusted Maury is not just a phrase. It is a way of life. It's something that we must just do because he provides us some more options off the bench, you know, a more reliable shooter, another guy to have the ball in his hands. And let's not forget, he's one of the most well-respected players in the NBA. He's great for locker room chemistry. And I just like the idea that he's just adding to this thing that we're trying to build here. So I'm all for this move, especially if we gave up nothing for it. And it just makes me excited to see what the buyout has in store for us. Well, the nice thing about George Hill is He's both an elite spot-up shooter. He's actually been one of the best in the NBA over the last few years. But he's also a guy who can potentially run a little bit of offense himself. He's kind of this one-two combo guard. And he's a guy with legitimate playoff experience from San Antonio days to Indiana with the Cavs. So he's got experience. He basically cost you guys nothing. So I think it was excellent job by Daryl Morey to basically preserve his assets, to go after the big guns down the road, but still get some point guard help and just guard help in general, which you guys need. Yeah, I uh, see. I definitely agree with the pickup for George Hill and what you were saying about how he can be ineffective. He's definitely played some very important playoff games. He's a player who I would say know what he needs to do in the right situation. So I feel like in that sense, he can play some valuable playoff minutes for the Sixers especially when lineups with Bennett and B together on the court might not be working out well for them. Like you said, he's a very good spot-up shooter, good effort defender. So I do think that the Sixers definitely got a valuable point guard here. We mentioned the Heat before in the sense of Pat Riley not trading for Kyle Lowry, but he did upgrade the Heat's team roster. And I actually think they're arguably better than they were even last season. This man is the godfather of the NBA for a reason because he somehow turned Kelly Olenek and Avery Bradley's corpse into Victor Oladipo, who, let's be honest, hasn't been amazing, but he's a guy with at least some upside and 
they do have the cast space to sign him if it actually works out for them. And he also was able to move Mo Harkless and Chris Silva to get Nemanja Bielitsa, who kind of fills in that hole that losing Kelly Olenek creates because Kelly Olenek was actually playing stretch four for them this season. And Bielitsa has size and is a very reliable three-point shooter. And the other thing they did, and this is a little bit before the trade deadline, is they traded uh, anti-Semitic Myers Leonard, or we want to call him a guy who I didn't think he was going to last there very long. But yeah, thank you, God, know, man. That, uh, that guy might not. That guy might not play back in the league again. But yeah, yeah we'll, we'll see what happens to Myers Leonard. He, maybe his esports career is what he needs to be looking for. But anyway, they <laughs> traded. They traded him and a, a second rounder in 2027 for Trevor Ariza, who. It kind of fills in the hole that they had from Jay Crowder leaving this offseason. So now they have a legitimate 3 and D wing as well. So I, I don't know about you guys, but I think the Heat now emerged as a legitimate contender. I mean, you could argue they probably already were one because they literally went to the finals just last year. But I don't know. I, I feel like they've gotten better without giving up really anything of note and preserving all their cap space. This is great. This is what you love to see. Think about it like this. We are all in an arms race in the East. And as far as I'm concerned, there's two goals for me as a fan, right? There's the Sixers goals, and then there's a fan of the NBA goals. Obviously, I want the Sixers to win a championship. If the Heat can become a real threat to the Nets in any way, either they can eliminate them somehow before meeting us, or if we are knocked out and they somehow get to the finals, the Heat, I mean. That's still a win for the NBA. We we don't want these Nets to win at all costs. So I am so thankful for Pat Riley being the godfather he is. You know, I, I said this before on past podcasts when I would talk a little bit about Victor Oladipo. Um, I am a big Oladipo fan. Uh, I'm rooting for him because I know that he's never been the same ever since his injury. I do feel that it's a good move to have him. And obviously Bielitsa is another great addition for the team. I'm actually very surprised they were able to land Bielitsa. But yes, it is Pat Riley, the godfather. I think that Oladipo can carve himself out a decent role. They do have a lot of great guard and forwards. But there is value that Oladipo has, which is good like he is a player who's learned how to play off the ball he is also a good defender when he's engaged I don't know how good he is now given I think he's a bit slowed down from kind of recuperating from his injury but I feel like he's a player that fits in well with that Miami Heat culture kind of has that dog in him kind of like an underdog mentality in in a way if you guys know what I mean definitely a good move and uh, I want to see Oladipo thrive there for sure I was waiting for someone to make the obligatory hashtag heat culture reference. <laughs> <laughs> I got to, man. I got to. You already know what it is. <laughs> hey, by the way, shout out to Victor Oladipo, pride of the Matha High School, 10 minutes outside of Washington, D.C. Hey. Before he got injured, dude was a stud. I love the pick for the heat. I mean, playing behind Jimmy Butler and Bam Idabayu, I think in spot minutes, dude could put up buckets be fairly good. He's not what he was three years ago before the injury with the Pacers, but I still think it's a great Pat Riley pickup. So yeah, I, I I definitely think they got better, like AC was saying earlier, without actually giving up many assets. On the other end of the spectrum, though, there is a team that gave up a lot of assets to get considerably better in a conference where they've consistently been a bottom feeder. And that's the Chicago Bulls. They made two moves, one of which I think kind of took the whole NBA by surprise. 
The Bulls got Nick Vucevic and Alfarik Aminu, and in return, the Magic got Wendell Carter, Otto Porter Jr., the Bulls' 2021 first-round pick, which is only top four protected, and the Bulls' 2023 first-round pick, which is, again, only top four protected. So let's start with that trade, guys. Did the Bulls push all their chips in too soon here? Was this the right move for their franchise? Because there is an argument to be made here that giving such lightly protected first-round picks on a team that, as we sit right now, isn't even a top eight Eastern Conference team is a serious risk. That's a good point you mentioned, AC. And I actually... I'm not too sure, to be honest with you, if they pushed a bit too hard for this. But I gotta say, I love this move because I feel like Zach Levine has always been inhibited by not having another go-to scorer to play with. Nick Vucevic is as good as an offensive center as they come. He is an elite low post option and also an elite pick and pop option. He's great in the standstill shooting threes. He's a great rebounder, a uh, seven-footer. And it's just a guy that I feel like is super efficient on the offensive end. He's not the greatest defender, but I also think that the way the Bulls play, they're not going to beat you on defense anyway. They're more of a team that's going to run rampant on you on offense. And Zach Levine is already one of the great offensive talents in the NBA. And now that you can't double him for free, they have another guy who's just not as good as an offensive talent, but you know, around that same ballpark. So I do think that the Vucevic trade was really good in those regards. As far as the future goes, it is a risk. But I can see the Bulls definitely making a strong playoff push now and potentially making some noise in the playoffs. I don't think they'll go far, but definitely it should be interesting now that the Bulls have a team that they can really root for, you know? Shout out to Al Farouk Amino. A classic, keep cashing those checks, all-stars. I routinely forget... (laughs) He's in the league at least once a year. I forget. So shout out to my man. Make that money, B. But I would like the Vucevic trade more if those two first round picks in the upcoming years weren't top four protected and they were something like top 10 protected. But I I think top four is a little much, definitely considering right now they sit like ninth or 10th in the East. I would have felt a lot better about this if you're just pushing all your chips in and you're actually in the playoff grouping as we speak. So Vucevic, a stud, he's like some type of amalgamation of a stretch five and a guy like Andre Drummond who can get you a lot of rebounds. But I'm a little afraid that they mortgage their future to at best pull out an upset where they win in the first round just to be beat in the first five games of the second round. As far as I'm concerned, basketball as a whole is better when Chicago is better. Already we're seeing all our big market teams, Lakers, Clippers, Nets, Knicks, Sixers, and now the Bulls are all relevant. That's what the league needs. When I initially saw this trade... I thought to myself, I can't believe you get Vucevic so cheaply. But then I saw the protections were so light and it totally flipped in my mind in the sense that I think that Orlando got just about as much as you can get for Nick Vucevic. Consider for a second the kind of teams that would actually trade for Nick Vucevic. It wouldn't be the contenders, the, the true teams that are trying to win the title because I think his defensive flaws at the five 
make it nearly impossible for a team anchored by Nick Vucevic to be serious title contenders. So you need a team that's kind of trying to become relevant. And they found that team in Chicago. That being said, I do think that this is a great move for the NBA as a whole. And and it's still, in a way, a step in the right direction for the Chicago Bulls. Yes, they could get lucky and these picks could have turned out to become the next stars. You know, that's a chance you take by making a move like this. But at some point, they need to stop being what they have been for this last decade, which is this team that's just perennially one of the bottom teams in the NBA. This is a team that Michael Jordan played for. It's a team with one of the most legendary brands in all of professional basketball. Just to have them in the playoffs again will be awesome. It's the third biggest market in the NBA, and just having relevant basketball there again in an arena, I should mention, that sold out years after Jordan had retired for the second time. It's just good for basketball in general. I mean, of course they sold out for years. There's nothing else to do in Illinois other than go to Bulls games. Usley <laughs> is the resident Illinois hater every time nah. it comes up. Nah, man. I'm, what? I'm not being a hater. I'm I'm keeping it real. Like I live there. I know what it's like. You have such a hatred for that state. It's no, yeah. no hatred. It, it's it all comes love. out all the time. Like, are you serious? <laughs> no, to our friends in Illinois, I do not hate y'all. Um, no, they already hate us. Hey, hey, if, if I recall, Eric, you, you didn't help too much with that yourself. I, I attempted to. Yeah, it was bullshit. a very, it was a weak attempt, but I attempted to. All right, so why don't we move to the West? The Nuggets have made two moves that I think have made them real problems in the West. Already, Jokic is having an MVP season, but they successfully filled the holes created by departures of Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumlee. First, they traded Isaiah Hartenstein, their 2023 second rounder and a 2027 second rounder, to the Cavaliers for JaVale McGee. JaVale McGee! acting a fool MVP! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the Shaqton MVP himself. Hall of Fame Shaqton. Y'all haters. Okay, fine. Three-time NBA champion, JaVale McGee. Put some respect on his name. Yes. His mom might come after you like she did for the TNT guys. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You gotta be careful. (laughs) Yeah. Big Pam! Shout out! (laughs) (laughs) Well... With JaVale, he provides them a backup big that they badly need to play behind Jokic. But that's not the only move they made. They traded Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, and then their 2025 top five protected first round pick for Aaron Gordon and Gary Clark. So far this year, we've been saying that the one thing that the Nuggets badly need is they need size and defensive capability at the wing spot. Once they lost Jeremy Grant, they had nobody who can put a body on LeBron or Kawhi or any of these other wings that are coming in the West. So with Aaron Gordon, they have that size. They have a solid wing defender. And, you know, I heard on some other podcasts that they were talking about how Aaron Gordon was never allowed or able to be the player that he really can be because of the shitty Magic team that he played on. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I can't name more than like five people on the Magic. Especially not anymore. (laughs) Now with this new role on the Nuggets, I think he's going to really shine. And the Nuggets are going to be a problem. So maybe, Eric, your Lakers might need to watch out. Oh, no, my Lakers are going to be fine. I'm not worried about them. Damn, that confident? (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm not worried about Aaron Gordon in the the least. I think some of it is presentism and revisionist history 
the guy isn't nearly as good as people want him to be. What's happening is because of his athletic gifts, we assumed he was going to be a player that he has never become. He's not going to actualize that with the Nuggets. So not worried about him at all. Well, let's look at the moves in total, right? Like like you guys were saying, JaVale McGee is good to have for the Nuggets because one, it provides them a good back. I was going to say competent backup center, but JaVale has not really been known for his confidence. But I would, I would say <laughs> he is a good backup center because he can provide the things you need from that spot. Now, with Aaron Gordon... I agree with Eric, but I also disagree a little bit because, again, in the West, it's very important to have solid and big wing defenders. And Aaron Gordon is one of the better on that scale of players. I don't think he's as good as a defender as Jeremy Grant, but he can fill that gap that is desperately needed. He's an extremely athletic wing. A decent three-point shooter. I wouldn't say he's great, but he's a decent three-point shooter. And he can provide all those things that you want from him when he plays with the Nuggets. I've already seen a little bit of the Nuggets play with him on the roster, and he looks like he's fitting in fine. He doesn't need to be this guy who has the ball in his hands like he did when he was with the Magic. He can play off the ball, and I feel like that fits in perfectly with what he with what the Nuggets want to do with the guys in that small forward position. So, Anishan, do you think that Aaron Gordon is not quite the defender that Jeremy Grant was. And the Lakers, and this is a hypothetical, if they're healthy, they're a better offensive squad than the Lakers of last year. Mm -hmm. So how does that work well for the Nuggets in a matchup against the Lakers in a seven-game series? I mean, like, like I said, I don't think it's a move that really like pushes them over the edge. I, I mean, it's just another guy to put a body on someone like LeBron James. You know what I mean? But also the way that the Lakers normally play, they utilize a lot of screen action to get switches. So good defenders don't even guard LeBron in those situations. I think we'll learn a lot about who Aaron Gordon is as a player, right? Because we can all see his potential, his incredible athleticism. He's got strength. There's a world in which he is kind of the perfect fit here where he can leverage that athleticism, play a little bit more off the ball, and have one of the best passers in the entire world, arguably the best passer. I mean, that's how good Jokic is, setting him up for lobs and easy baskets over and over again. As Oswi alluded to, he was a bit miscast in Orlando. He was asked to play small forward because they had a million centers on the lineup. He was asked to create when that's probably not the best part of his game. That being said, by all accounts, Aaron Gordon's also a guy who wanted that role. Now, he didn't choose to come here as a free agent. He got traded here. Is he going to be willing to take a true backseat, become a real third option? So I think we'll learn a lot about him. I think in theory, he could be fantastic for him. I think his reputation as a defensive player is a little bit overblown. He's certainly solid on that, and I'd say he's above average. I don't think he's elite. I don't really think that Jeremy Grant is either, but that's another story altogether. As Anushan pointed out, even if he was elite, it's not like LeBron or whoever they're facing couldn't just target Jamal Murray or Jokic in a pick and roll anyway. And I think if you don't have a big wing at all, you have no chance to win the championship, period. You know, I do wonder how Mike Malone manages now with the rotations, because now he has Aaron Gordon... And he also has Paul Millsap, Michael Porter Jr., and P.J. Dozier, who gets minutes in their rotation here and there. 
So it'll be interesting to see how Mike Malone works with a lot of these pieces he has now. Yeah, I do think that Mike Malone is going to have to do some juggling here, not only in terms of the rotation, but the relative usage of these players that he has on the roster. Something that I don't think was really an issue last year. Because Michael Porter Jr. is another guy who wants touches, kind of plays the same position ideally as Aaron Gordon. So how does that balance work out? It remains to be seen. And what AC really means is, will it happen? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Eric's saying it how it is. (laughs) Is that an Eric Dramas uh, prediction? Oh, I'm not no Dramas. I ain't Nostradamus, Eric Dramas, so what are you talking about? It ain't happening. (laughs) The Milwaukee Bucks made a move that I hope is not forgotten in all the trade deadline chatter in that they got P.J. Tucker, the same P.J. Tucker who just a few years ago was annoying enough of a player, both as a rebounder and just kind of as a pest, that you really gave Kevin Durant, who's way taller than him, a lot of trouble in that famous series that went to seven games in which, unfortunately, Chris Paul got injured in, in which the Houston Rockets, including P.J. Tucker, missed a million three-pointers in Game 7. But I think that here's a guy who might actually fit in a closing lineup for their team. So does getting P.J. Tucker give the Bucks a legitimate chance in a series against a team like the Nets? I like this move for the Bucks. This provides them a veteran, good defender, good shooter. He's a guy that could go into their death lineup to really lock down on defense, especially if you're running Giannis as your big. He would totally fit in that type of setup. And I'm so glad that he didn't go to a team like the Nets, especially the Nets, because good Lord, they don't need the help. So if we're going under the scenario that somehow the Bucks and the Nets meet, any ammo that can help them defeat the Nets, I'm all for. I think this was a great move. At first, I was a little bit indifferent about this move. I didn't think that P.J. Tucker really added anything that was, you know, could make it like a game-changing thing for them. But, you know, as I thought about it a little bit more, I, I slowly came to realize that there are some lineups that you can't really play with Brooke Lopez, given his, like, lack of mobility and not being able to, like, really guard a lot of these, like, death lineups that a team like the Nets could employ against him. And I feel like P.J. Tucker sort of brings that, like, rough, like, good defense, that attitude that definitely could fit in well with what the Bucks want to do. And it also pushes Giannis into what I think he should be playing more, which is center. I think overall it's a good move. If used properly, he can be very effective. But again, I don't think Budenholzer is good at using anyone properly. Or else he hasn't shown that he can use them properly. So we'll have to see. Well, let's be clear, guys. He's replacing Pat Connaughton in the rotation. I mean, Budenholzer has this weird band crush on Pat Connaughton. He thinks that he's like the second coming of freaking Scottie Pippen or something. But now he has no choice with a guy with the reputation of P.J. Tucker you know, to play him more to use him in those lineups where, as Anu said, Giannis is at the five, which I think is their optimal type of lineup. And yes, P.J. Tucker did not look great in Houston, but I'm going to chalk that up to him playing on a team that had no chance to win and for an owner who didn't want to pay him despite him doing all the dirty work there for several years. So I'm optimistic, and I think it gives them one more player now they can reliably have in a closing lineup. Last season... They only had two guys you can count on to be in a closing five. That's Chris Middleton and Giannis. Then this year, they added Drew Holiday as a third guy, and now P.J. Tucker as a fourth guy. So that really, in my opinion, fundamentally changes their potential in a playoff series. You have a guy now that can switch across positions. 
I don't see how for the Bucks this is a bad pickup. And Eric, to your point, this is a team that didn't even try to switch as recently as last season, despite having, in theory, a very switchable rotation. But this year, they have been incorporating switching, even though that's cost them a few games as they kind of get used to playing in this new defensive style. To Bud's credit, a guy who I think we've all taken lots of shots at, he has at least tried this out, and now he has a weapon to deploy in a switching scheme besides just Giannis. Facts. Well, if you listen to Draymond Green, none of the moves we talked about so far matter at all. Because the best move that anybody made at the trade deadline was the Clippers getting Rondo. 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 Or what's that? What's the C what we should say? Rondo. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not doing that because those fans are the most irrational fans. And they've literally <laughs> taken Rondo who's supposed to be almost a late-stage Andrew Tony, making it as if Rajon Rondo is going to be some type of, like, hot player off the bench, and he's just going to set the world on fire. And it's Rajon Rondo. In individual playoff series, he's been good at points. He hasn't been world-beating and they're basing it off of last year playing with a guy like LeBron and a guy like AD. And there's no AD and LeBron on the Clippers roster. And I'm saying that, and I'm slandering Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who's pandemic P, not playoff P, pandemic P, he's not going to have the same outcome playing with those two guys. I just think that this whole notion of playoff Rondo is something that, yes, he was a big factor to the Lakers winning the championship, but I think that the wind in that sail has basically subsided. I was about to hot take this shit. All you guys fucking took my my points. Listen, the Clippers needed a point guard, and Kawhi has been very clear about that. Sweet Lou Williams has been a complete choker. I think he's arguably the worst playoff player of the last decade. So you're upgrading from him. But this idea that playoff Rondo is going to be their savior is highly suspect. This is a guy who, yes, he has proven that he can show up in big series, especially when he was younger. He had some fantastic series where he even arguably outplayed prime LeBron. But last year, in my opinion, was a bit of an aberration in the sense that he was god-awful for multiple entire seasons before that performance. And inexplicably turned into a 40-plus percent three-point shooter, which, of course, has not lasted this season. So, yeah, if you have a Rajon Rondo who can shoot like he's some elite perimeter player combined with all his passing and slashing, then, yeah, he's dangerous. But I just don't think that that's what you can rely upon. He's also never been, at least not since his first few years in the league, a positive defender. And people talk about him last season. Even in the playoffs, he was only good in certain games and certain series, right? He was awesome in the series against Houston. And then he was like hit or best in series against Denver. And even in the finals, he had three great games and three really bad games. So yeah, you're getting kind of a Russian roulette sort of player here. AC yeah. is talking about those raw, undisputed facts about Rondo. But I think a lot of us are still living off his legacy from Boston. And Boston Rondo ain't walking through that door. So... He needs to be around people. So we talk about 
his last year and the playoffs, three-point shooting, spacing the floor. Well, you got two guys like James and AD who suck the defense in to an extent that they all pack the paint, and you're getting shots that a, a stat that I thought was very fascinating the majority of his three-point shots came with a within a defender being five feet or more away from him. So that's a great point. He's not taking shots that are contested at all. They're always shots, at least if you're using the Lakers logic, where no one's around him and they should be bunnies. I've even seen in practice bad three-point shooters when no one's around them hit those shots. So if you're depending on Rondo to get the spacing that he got with the Lakers, I honestly don't see how you're going to get it with the Clippers because you're looking at him to be a force on your second team and you have a guy like Kawhi, and Paul George, both of them are fairly decent passers, but there's no LeBron passer on the team. And in the post, there's no one like Anthony Davis sucking the defense in and assuring that a guy like Rondo, who's actually not a particularly good shooter, that he's going to get these wide-open shots. So... I, I don't know. I, I don't think this is logical by a lot of the fans who are like, oh, Rondo, he's about to kill the game right now. I think AC's take is not the hot take. The people who are clamoring for some revisionist history of, about Rondo and his abilities, they're just point blank stupid. Eric, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> Always. Well... I have a hot take for you. My hot take is that Lemon Pepper Lou was the one who really facilitated this because he wanted to go home and choke on some uh, chicken wings uh, at his favorite <laughs> chicken wing spot out in Atlanta. <laughs> First off, Shut guys, strip, strip clubs and their wings are legitimately great places. I'm just going <laughs> to say, look, we have a great strip club in D.C., that Drake has mentioned a month a bunch of times. And Anishan, <laughs> this is one of your people, your ill. <laughs> and Drake has mentioned Stadium a bunch of times. Stadium has some of the best wings you will have in the country. <laughs> so if you want some great wings and you want to see some butts, go to Stadium, guys. <laughs> yeah wings and thighs <laughs> for sure i mean hey lou will is a connoisseur of the finer things of life so i'm sure he's uh very happy to be eating some good chicken wings <laughs> lou, lou will is a classic man fancy <laughs> i do what's that line that lou says two girls and they get along like i'm lou <laughs> <laughs> yes sir <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Drake's been frequenting these clubs with Lou Williams. Yeah, definitely wouldn't be surprised. Drake loves stadium. Loves it. 
I've seen him three separate times at stadium. I like how Eric is silently admitted that he himself was at stadium three separate times. <laughs> this is not a sponsored podcast, by the way. Just letting everyone know. <laughs> I mean, I'm at stadium like two separate times. I'm just saying, I'm saying great. <laughs> All right, guys, I think that's a great place to stop. But also, we haven't even spoken about all the buyouts that have happened so far. And we'll for sure get on that as soon as all the news about the buyouts is finished. So that will be talking about LaMarcus Aldridge, going with the Nets. We have Andre Drummond with the Lakers. Lots to talk about in future podcasts. If you liked what you heard, do not forget to like, comment, subscribe, and rate wherever you get your podcasts. And please be sure to tune in to our next episode. That's all for now, guys. Take care. Sweet Wings Lou.